welcome. Welcome to the No Name Yet podcast. That is the podcast with no name. And on tonight's show is a special guest. That will be Jack Arnicky, the man whose golf game is better than my dad's. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. A little bit of embellishment. No, my golf game isn't as good as your dad's. <laughs> we played together a number of times, and I usually get swamped. Okay. He plays very right. well. Yes, yes, he does. And he loves the golf passionately. Oh, he does. He's out there every single day, which is more than I am. Yeah. I'm yeah. only three, four times a week, just minor stuff. <laughs> so, um, Again, thank you for coming on the show. I was uh, mentioning to a couple of co-workers of mine that you were going to be on the show, and they asked, who is Jack Arnicky? I would imagine that it's getting to be that time. And then uh, I remembered that, you know, that uh, uh, they didn't grow up in the area, and uh, they're refugees, uh, refugees from Alabama and Michigan, <laughs> and... Uh, they, they found safety and were able to thrive here in the state of New York, but they came after your tenure at WRGB Channel 6. Yeah. Yes. And that's uh, and, and even now there's a whole generation of young adults who would have absolutely no idea who I am. I've been out 16 years. So wow. it's, uh, you know, the, the times change. People who had watched me re uh, regularly, many of them have passed on. A lot of them are, you know, older age demographic right now. And the young kids, it's I'm who? <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, you got your time and then it's it's past. Yeah. And life goes, you know, life just keeps going on no matter uh, what we do. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in the field of chaplaincy and that. Uh, those that embrace the cycle of life do well in later years, and those that don't don't do so well in later <laughs> years. Um, but uh, I I have I have very good memories of uh, when you were on Channel Six, um, and uh, uh, coming from the the point of view of somebody who who trained in theater, uh, especially in Shakespeare. Uh, you know, we, we were we were focusing on our voice. Uh, you know, when I graduated college, unfortunately, I didn't pursue that field uh, as aggressively as I needed to. But I really respect uh, the the vocal work that you've done over the years. And my I guess my uh, question is, uh, did the voice come before the desire to broadcast? Or did the desire to broadcast come before the voice? Uh, the former. It was okay. just, it's always, just always been there. Um, uh, don't know where it came from. My father was a, was a tenor. Um, my mother had uh, probably a little bit of a deeper voice for a woman, but not, not significant. And I don't know where mine came from, but it just sort of developed as, uh, as the teenage years passed and, it was, uh, it was, it was just there, and really, it, it, you know, the voice was there, um, but the desire to broadcast, or or desire even to get into a broadcasting career, was after a couple of bumps and 
fits and starts going in other directions. So it's, uh, you know, it was definitely not on my radar as I was growing up. Okay. All right. And uh, you went to uh, Bishop Gibbons, a Catholic school in Schenectady? Right. Right. I was and, a classmate of your dad's. Okay. And uh, he was in the shows. Were you in the shows? I was in a couple of the shows too. I have wonderful, wonderful memories of uh, one of the highlights of, of the, uh, as we called them, the musicals. We, we had a guy, uh, uh, Carmen Scarlatta back then, who would uh, kind of audition a bunch of people and then kind of create a show around what their particular talents were. And your father had a, uh, has a, uh, has a tremendous uh, ability to make people laugh. And, uh, you know, he was, he's kind of a stocky guy in, in high school, played football and, and, and things. And one of the great memories I have is of a ballet routine <laughs> with your dad in a tutu. And we it have, was just hilarious. We have, we have a picture of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I know that uh, um, my dad, uh, I think it was the 50th uh, high school reunion. Mm -hmm. Could be. Uh, uh, came back uh, uh, just very uplifted and, uh, you know, reflected back at that time at Bishop Gibbons uh, uh, just very favorably. And, and, mm -hmm. and would, would would you say that your experience there uh, brings back memories like that? And, uh... Yes, it, it does. Uh, your, your father had a, had an ability to mix better than I did. I was, I was kind of a shy kid. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I couldn't uh, become involved with at school because I lived a long way away. You know, he was just a local kid who took the took the bus to to Gibbons. I I grew up uh, and and at the time was living on a chicken farm in Central Bridge, about thirty miles away, oh, wow. commuting in and out. And I had to catch I had to catch a ride with somebody who worked at at the time at Alco, and uh, you know the because of when he was going home, I just uh, I just had to be available. But uh, I had I I have very good memories. I'm still a strong supporter of the school to this day. And uh, there was one interaction, uh, and I think it was in a theology class uh, with one of the uh, brothers at the time. And in about a two minute exchange in class, he kind of gave me the the moral blueprint to follow for my life, and I've used that almost every day since then. So okay. you know that that to me just that moment made, mm -hmm. made the time at Gibbons uh, worth all the effort and, and all the work that I put in. It was really, that was the most important lesson that I learned there. Oh, and I'm going to say amen to that. that that's yeah. just great to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I was, uh, I was looking at a uh, little information on you on the internet and uh, are you still on the uh, school board for Bishop Gibbons? No. No, okay. I've I've cycled off of that. I'm really not in any formal um, organization at Gibbons, but uh, I pop in every once in a while. Uh, the principal now, Pat Moran, is uh, was a classmate of my son's, and uh, you know, there's uh, there's a time every year to make a donation, and I make a donation. So I, mm -hmm. you know, at this point, I'm supporting the school financially, and if they have an open house and can can use me to to do a little glad handing. I'm, I'm always happy to do that, but right. you know, when you, 
when you're when you're trying to attract people to a high school and you got somebody who's 78 years old greeting them, it kind of kind of <laughs> doesn't fit. Okay, but, and I understand that, but uh, yeah, you know, at, at least it's been it's been a great experience for me, and from what I hear from the kids there who've gone there recently, it continues to be so. I'll continue to support the school. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so let's see where are we going now. We're uh, look at that's your take... job. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you worked at uh, Channel Six WRGB for thirty-five years, was it? Yeah, just okay. just a couple of months shy of thirty-five years. Okay, and and uh, I mean that's a long career. Uh, oh, yeah. in, in general, how would you? How was that for you? Um, it was uh, when I retired. I I described uh, I described my time as. I absolutely loved what I did. I hate the business. Okay. <laughs> because it's, right. it re- really had become a business. When I started up there uh, in November of 1972, um, it was, news was very much a public service that the station did. They made money on the quiz shows and, and, and all the other stuff. And they got, you know, compensation from the network and all this, that, and the other thing. And if they broke even on news, they were very happy. Okay. Uh, since then, it's transitioned into into whatever news broadcasts you have are, excuse me, um, are have become real profit centers. So right. you know, right. it's been that kind of a trend transition. So it's not. Uh, it's still very much a public service that's done, but uh, but there's just a different feel to it. And I don't know. I I wasn't used to that, and I didn't particularly care for it, but. The actual work itself, I loved. Okay, all right. I, I always considered it looking over, looking over life's shoulder. The uh, one one journalist described it as writing history's first draft, uh, but I was I was kind of looked at it as looking over life's shoulder and and seeing a lot of different experiences and events and so on uh, through my eyes and through other people's eyes too, which I I found fascinating. Mm. I I like that. I like I like both I like both analogies, uh, looking over the the shoulder and writing history's first draft. Yeah, and uh, you know we uh, on this show uh, that uh, my uh, partners in podcasting, uh, uh, a young man named Gritty, uh, another young man named uh, Mo, uh, and then uh, some other friends of the show. I could uh, uh, call out EJ and Dre and Justin. Um, generally the most of us are not real big fans of, uh, the media at this point. And, uh, <laughs> and it's unfortunate, you know, you look back and uh, there were some great people that were doing a great service to the country. And now it's, it's difficult to, uh, sift through on, uh, uh, what might be true and what might not be true. And there is so much out there now as, as, you know, I mean, when I, when I started up at six, you had, uh, you had three choices, uh, six, 10, 13, or PBS, four choices. When I was growing up, you had only two choices for your television on or off. There was only one television station that was channel six. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's so much more out there. And, you know, I mean, when you, when you're doing a podcast, like this i mean you can 
there's no control over, there, there's no filter for you at all it's mm -hmm. you, you or anybody can say anything they want and you know people like to get into their little old belief silos and uh, and just stick with that as opposed to what used to be when you didn't have much that much choice you had to just accept as truth and generally it was um uh, one of the three one of the three uh three networks or one of the three local stations yes yeah and it, and it seemed that the uh you know some deregulation and the profit margin uh really messed things up <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially the profit margin right right got, well and and everything is so centralized now i mean look at channel six is owned by sinclair broadcasting which is one of the major television owners in the country. I mean, they own hundreds of television stations. Mm. When I started out, the FCC had a maximum of seven. You could own seven stations in the country. That was it. Right, right. And uh, so, you know, that's that's some of the change that's that's existed. That, yeah. Uh, that's evolved. For right. good, better or worse, but it's evolved. It's evolved. And uh, uh, as I was looking at... Um... This was an announcement about your retirement. Um, the the quote from uh, Robert Furlong, mm -hmm. uh, vice president, general manager of the CBS affiliate WRGB, says Jack's knowledge of technology and business, particularly nanotechnology and chip fob, has distinguished him and provides valuable insight for viewers. So is it is it a technology and business? Uh, you were the uh, business reporter at one point, right? Yeah, I, I, much of my much of my career at Six was involved with doing uh, business and tech reporting. It, it, it was uh, just slowly evolved. I, I did a story one time. Um, I had hooked up with somebody just had a chat with somebody from the Center for Economic Growth, I believe it was, and uh, asked about. Uh, mentioned to me about software companies that were in the area. Um, and I thought, gee, that was interesting. And I went out and did a man on the street and said, how many software companies are there in this area? And this is probably in the mid eighties at the, at the latest. And the general answer I got was, uh, you know, seven, eight, maybe 10, something like that. The, the map infos at the time and, and companies like that. And there were so many of them in little garages and dorm rooms, a couple of people that actually started Then the actual number of registered software companies was 125 at the time. Oh, wow. And I thought, you know, gee, this, this tech stuff might have some, you know, might have some life to it. And then I covered the story at, uh, when there was just the one building on Washington Avenue extension, uh, the building with the big point in the, in the front of it, that was called the love boat building. Uh, where there was technology going on, the weather the weather bureau was there, and so on and so forth. And um, IBM came by, and they had a news conference where they were dropping in one hundred million dollars to help with the research going on there. And I said, "Hmm, wow. you know, this might be this might be the next step since GE and so many of the other industrial manufacturing companies had been in such decline. This might be." what uh, what kind of brings the area back up again economically so i, mm -hmm. I just kind of latched on to that and i found it very interesting and uh with the nanotechnology um like i like uh 
when you get off of uh, exit 24, there's that big nanotechnology building. And I always kind of scratch my head going, what, what kind of things are going on in there? <laughs> tons of research. Okay. All right. It's tons of research. The, 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 uh, whole complex was really developed by uh, somebody who had fallen out of favor and has since uh, had his reputation restored, Elaine Caleros. Um, And his idea was to have a partnership among the state uh, and private businesses to develop and kind of create a, a, a hub where people can share ideas and so on and so forth. And, and that ended up being pretty successful. And uh, there were, he attracted a ton of companies who were developing software, who were developing new techniques. At one time, when I was there, there was this large machine, probably, oh, about the size of, of the the front cab of a tractor trailer, big truck size. And that's that was the start of extreme ultraviolet lithography, basically making the, the circuits on chips even smaller oh, wow. uh, at the time. And that was one of two of those devices in the world and one was one of them was in Albany. The other one was, I think, Sweden or some someplace over in Europe. But that's the kind of cutting edge technology that was going on there. And of course, you had RPI across the river who was doing stuff even more advanced and stuff that was pre-patent and really things that a lot of them couldn't talk about because they were afraid it was going to be stolen. Oh wow! So it was, yeah. uh, you know, it was just in a to me a fascinating time watching a lot of that stuff develop. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, you know, you, I mean, part of that time I, I was living in uh, Washington state, mm-hmm. um, but uh, coming back, I, sometimes you don't even know what's going on in your uh, own quote unquote neighborhood. Yeah. 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 And it was, you know, then th- that all led to the development of what was going to be an AMD plant, which ended up being global foundries up in Malta. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you got, you got 3,500 people or so working at, at the complex on Washington Avenue extension, you got another 3,000, 3,500 working up at global foundries. They're talking about building another uh, chip fab, a computer chip manufacturing plant. That'll probably have about the same number of people. So, you know, you're almost recreating what had been a GE plant. Yes. Yes. And uh, did you still follow technology now? I do to some extent. I like to I like to stay a little bit involved with it. The, a lot of the players have changed, you know. And as as you said, there, you, some of your people say, "Who the hell is Jack Arnicky?" Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of them are saying, "Who the hell are you too?" Yeah. And uh, I I MC a couple of chamber events, but it's a whole bunch of young people doing doing some great stuff mm-hmm. who have absolutely no idea who I am or what I did. Right. So, you know, it's it's evolving, but I try and stay to some extent in touch. I, I try and keep an eye on things and, you know, I follow a couple of companies and so on online and so on. So, uh, you know, to that extent, yeah, I, I, st- I had an interest. I maintain an interest and I, I like to see some of the stuff that's being developed. And uh, anything standing out as exciting? Yeah. Um, Exciting or scary, <laughs> artificial okay. intelligence. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. And, yeah, and I, I remember even before I retired, RPI had uh, a person who was heading a small department devoted to artificial intelligence and its uses and so on. So a lot, you know, even though it seems to be hitting the the consciousness of society now, there was work going on before I retired 15, 20 years ago. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, that's going to have a... a 
a remarkable effect on on how we do things and uh, you know just the speed of stuff that 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 goes along i mean when i retired i had a flip phone okay all right I've got a, now i've got an old iphone that's probably four or five generations old but still works for me so yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's just uh just the speed of stuff developing is is remarkable to me it is remarkable and my biggest complaint about the cell phone um i have an iphone too um is it, it it makes you much much too productive too productive yes i mean you can do things on the phone that you would normally have to wait to either get home or to do or True. get to the office to do and then you got folks uh asking if you could send this or do that and it's mm-hmm. like of course i can i've got yeah. this uh, i've got this uh, major computer that i can hold in my hand <laughs> And I can, and therefore I can be bothered anytime I want to be bothered or I I need to bother you. Yeah. And then then there's folks like, uh, you know, uh, Gritty and Mo that have grown up with this technology saying, Pastor, you don't have to answer the phone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I know. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. But, you know, even even the end of your generation and certainly the big, all of mine, the phone rang, you answered it. You answered it. Yes. And we had no idea who was on the other end. Right. Right. (laughs) This may make you laugh. Uh, I recently heard uh, uh, somebody talking about their daughter, and uh, their daughter said, you know, we, we were my family was talking and that, that you know we all have got our own cell phones and that you know sometimes people just want to check in with the family and wouldn't it be great if they invented like this phone that was attached to the wall that anybody could pick up and answer because it would just be like the phone for the house instead of calling each of us individually <laughs> and uh, he said he looked at her and said, "Yeah, that would be a great invention." <laughs> uh, oh dear! That... <laughs> That's the way it used to be when the phone actually had a wire attached to it. That's right, and uh, it seems like uh, every everything comes back around at some point. It certainly does. It certainly yeah. does. Well, I mean, how many people are cutting cutting cable now and actually getting an antenna? to watch TV. That's where a signal comes over the air. You know, True. my whole, my whole, most of my life has been, I was marveled at the transition that phones used to have a wire coming out of it and televisions didn't. And now it's the exact opposite. Oh yeah, exactly. I've never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's true. Yeah. So, uh, uh back in 1992, mm-hmm. uh, you, uh, it says here that you took viewers to Albany's sister city, Tula, Russia. Yep. After the uh, Soviet Union fell, mm-hmm. uh, I bet that was an incredible experience. It was, especially uh, somebody my generation growing up as a child of the Cold War, um, and and you know I I still remember in elementary school diving under a desk in case there was a nuclear mm. attack, and we knew if Russia the Soviet Union sent its missiles over where I lived out in Central Bridge, G, the GE plant and probably the Alco plant, if it still existed, would be totally fried. Most disconnected, he would be 
And we'd probably have severe radiation poisoning where we lived and live an agonizing life. I mean, that was the kind of fear that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And uh, when when the Soviet Union all fell apart and Boris Yeltsin uh, was the was the president at the time. And uh, we established a group of Albany people uh, established, made contact with and established a, a sister city relationship with Tula, which is about 120 miles south of Moscow picked because it was on a river, the Upa River, uh, because it was a, a arms manufacturing plant. They they manufacture the Kalishnikov uh, semi-automatic weapons, and we had the Waterville arsenal. There were some other similarities. Capital of a uh, what they had, what they call over there an oblast, where Albany is the capital of a state. Stuff like that, and uh, so the, the whole delegation from Albany went over uh, to. Uh, actually formalized the the relationship and uh, i still remember when we landed um we were at, at the airport in moscow one of the one of the two airports the one that handled international flights and i remember sitting there we while we were waiting for the bus to pick us up to go down to tula um and the delegation from from the tula city officials and uh, sitting there and i was watching some uh, workers carrying goat carcasses through the airport, which I thought was not something you would see at Kennedy. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we took the bus down, bus broke down several times. We get to the hotel. It was just, you know, really dark and dingy. And there was so much socialist stuff uh, from, from the communist era still going on. There was a guy who came in in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, uh, put on a military style hat, sat in a chair, outside the elevator until five o'clock in the evening. And then he got up and left. I have no idea what he did other than he got paid to sit in that chair. Um, the check-in was interesting. We had to give up our passports, had to hand our passports to the hotel officials. They held well, that on had to, to be frightening. Course. That was a little scary. Yeah. Um, and then we got uh, a slip of paper at the check-in desk with, our room number on it, but we got no key. We had to go upstairs to the floor and each floor had an individual key lady. <laughs> you hand the slip to the woman. She walks all the way down the hall around the corner, picks up your key, comes all the way back and hands you your key. Then you can get into your room, uh, which was Spartan to uh -huh. say, the, to say the least. Um, let's see other impressions. Um, I found it interesting. We were in a big square uh, where the hotel was located, and across the across the square was the was the main train station. And we went into the main train station, and there were a bunch of slot machines in there. Which I figured that's post communist, uh, and people were playing playing four or five slot machines in there. Uh, we went to visit Tula TV. I was I was going to be interviewed on Tula TV about what America is like, and a bunch of correspondents from uh, from Tula TV were, were going to ask me questions. And I asked a little bit about how their operation worked and so on and so forth. But when we first got there, somebody finally explained this to me. When we first got there in the middle of the day, the, the station was off the air. And they were having an employee meeting. The employees were gathered at a meeting. And the, the general manager had done something that had ticked off the employees and they were having a meeting to decide whether they wanted that guy to stay around or if they should, if they should get rid of him. 
Oh, wow. I thought that was pretty interesting. I brought that back to our, <laughs> our general manager and I said, I'd like to see this system start. Here. <laughs> he was not, he was not enthused to say right. the least, but uh, you know, and, and the, the guy who swept the floor at the television station and the guy who ran the television station all got exactly the same pay. Everybody got exactly the same number of rubles uh, wow. in their, in their weekly pay packet. So, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that has obviously changed there now and obviously under Putin, it's just awful now, but, uh, but it was, uh, you know, starting to see democracy kind of try and flourish. And, and there were probably 20, 25 political parties, little ones trying to having candidates for a city council. And, you know, it was just, a, just an interesting, uh, time to watch. And you, you kind of think back to what they were going through and what our American revolutionary period was going through. And other than the ability to communicate uh, um, uh, electronically and so on, it was probably not dissimilar. Mm. It was, yeah. a, but it was, it was just an absolutely fascinating trip. And I, you know, I, I still remember leaving the airport in the bus. It was evening. Uh, sun was just setting. The trams were coming up to these big apartment buildings. People were getting off the trams and just trudging through the snow, you know, looking looking like they had a huge weight on their shoulders almost. Nobody was really happy or smiling. They were just trudging in a lines, lines through the snow to their individual apartment buildings. And I kept thinking, looking at that, saying, we considered this a threat, mm. you know, and then you, you, you meet the people, just the plain old, plain old folks in the you know, the main thing they want is to make the, have a better life for their kids, just like we do. Right. Yeah. You know, you're just, we're all basically the same. The governments may be different, but, but as far as people go, we're all pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's as easy to, uh, to become cynical uh, about other people, but I think that, you know, when you actually talk to people face to face, that people mm -hmm. basically want the same thing. Yep. Yeah. They a wanna... good meal, a good home, and and a better and a better world for their kids. Right. Yeah. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, well, that's a you 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 were you were over there at a at a pivotal uh, time of history. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. That was also uh, the time um, Saddam Hussein and the Iraq War and stuff like that. All of that was heating up. I don't remember if there was an invasion or anything like that, but. But there were a lot of folks who came up from down that area, uh, bringing fresh fruit, uh, you know, oranges and stuff like that. Because we were we were there in March, so it was it was winter time. Mm -hmm. uh, would come up and sell on, on street corners and so on. And uh, I remember the newspaper reporter who was with the trip. There was uh, there was me. There was Dick Beach for WGY, and there was a guy from the Times Union who went along on the trip. And uh, he went. He and his interpreter went to the hotel bar one night, and they were having a just having a drink. And uh, somebody somebody from down south uh, came up and said, "So, what do you think of Saddam Hussein?" And the interpreter said, "Time to leave." And out they went, you know, because <laughs> there was certainly going to be a fight ensuing very quickly if the answer okay. was wrong. So All right, just uh, you know, there was that kind of tension going on too. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever experienced something quite like that, but that brought to memory uh, a friend of mine and I used to go to Quebec the same time every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the, the referendum on secession, 
um, we were instructed uh, to say that we did not have an opinion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a wise decision. Right, right. No sense in inserting ourselves into their business. Yep, absolutely. Yes, right. So um, now I'm asking, I'm, I'm, I'm presenting this question on behalf of my sister um, who uh, has had a great fascination with the local news stations uh, and actually uh, uh, wrote a letter uh, about um, one of the reporters from Channel 13 as to why she was uh, always reporting in the midst of a snowstorm or rain. And uh, I remember that they had sent you up to the Adirondacks. I think it was negative 10 degrees because I think a, a murderer had escaped up into the Adirondacks. Does that ring a oh, bell? That was, uh, you know, I, I, there are a couple of things. Uh, I, I never went up. That was the... Um... Oh, crap. What was the guy's name? Uh, I can't think of his name now, but yeah, he had, he had, had committed several killings. If, if we're both thinking of the same thing, uh, I was working WGY. I was working radio at the time. So I didn't go up to the Adirondacks. Then, okay. I did go up at another time when it was, uh, cold as hell. And there had been a major, major ice storm up there. Okay. And electricity was cut off for days. Dairy farmers were in a position where they tried to, you know, I mean, you got a guy who's got four or 500 head of cattle and suddenly he's got to milk them by hand and cows were dying because they just couldn't get milked fast enough. You know, okay. that kind of stuff. It was just an awful time. The electricity was out. People were cold and freezing. And uh, it was, yeah, I, w I was up there with a, with a big parka and a, with, <laughs> with a fur hat. It was uh, in doing doing several stories for a few days up there. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I com I'm conflating two things that weren't associated, but I remember that you your face was quite red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a windy, cold time. I'll tell so, you. So why, why do we need the benefit of reporters being outside during horrible weather? Um, good question. <laughs> and one I really don't have an answer for. Um, it's just uh, you know you 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 like to have, I guess, a reporter out actually witnessing something so they you 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 know if you say the weather is horrible from inside a warm studio, uh huh, that's one thing. Um, and if you if you're actually out there, especially in a in a visual medium, I guess you can uh, you know it 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 becomes more more understandable as to as to what the what the situations are i remember that uh, on that on that particular trip um there were uh, stations from all over the country mm. who actually wanted to get a quick little live feed from from us uh other cbs affiliates to get a live feed from us about what the how bad the situation was because it had become a national story okay and i remember that they hooked me up uh with a with a station in tampa and I was doing a feed for a station in Tampa and they were, they were actually having two simultaneous live shots, me and some guy on a beach at Tampa about the warm weather they were having. And I, 
you know, the guy started introducing the guy, the the other reporter who was on the beach, and I said, "Wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> you're having me up here freezing, and you're talking to a guy on a beach on roasting. Beach. What kind of torture are you putting me?" Through? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's uh, you know, it, I, I I guess it's just for the for the visual impact of it, um, and to to show what a what a situation really is like either you got the reporter standing out there or you got some poor videographer who's got to go out right, take right, pictures yeah. of it and bring it back but you know if you're a visual medium you gotta got to kind of show what's there mm-hmm. i still remember i don't know whether you recall if you're old enough to recall howard tupper uh he was he was the uh the weather guy on wgy started in the late 30s and he was still doing uh, weathercasts uh, when I started there in 1972 on on television. Okay, and uh, he he had a little cartoon that was always at his desk, and it was a radio guy saying, saying, "You want to know what the weather's like? Look out the darn window." <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there's been a great amount of uh, compassion for reporters out in bad weather from my sister Gina, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, 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 a lot of prayers uh, when uh, the TV stations would uh, put reporters on the side of the Northway during the first snowfall for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it it may be a pain in the neck to do from the reporter's point of view, but that's that's kind of what you sign on for when you're you're doing stuff it's just you know you know that's going to happen so you just live with it right right like having to mow the lawn you just got to live with it yeah (laughs) and uh so uh what are you doing now uh i uh i do a little bit of public service stuff i uh i still do some uh i do some voiceovers and narrations i've got a little studio in the house and you know if a I, I don't push it hard, but if a job comes in, I'll I'll do it. Um, there's a uh, infomercial that I do uh, update probably two to three times a year with uh, realtor Anthony Gucciardo, and that's a half hour program. So, you know, he he's he likes having me do uh, interview him doing okay. uh, doing that. So I do that and uh, play a ton of golf. And in the winter, we uh, we head head a little bit south and get out of the worst of the winter weather up here. So oh, nice, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, it's, it, I, I do take care of the house. I take care of the, the garden and, you know, the gardening and the flowers and stuff, but it's, uh, you know, the, I, I always said the biggest gift that retirement gave, well, there are two big gifts. Number one, getting paid without having to show up. <laughs> and the other is owning my own clock. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a creature that has to be someplace at a given time other than if I agree to it as opposed uh-huh. to being assigned to it. So that's, that's, uh, that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it gives, gives, uh, gives one a great deal of freedom that you don't have through your entire work life. And I mean, you're, you're doing this, you're pretty much managing your own time too. Yes. Yes. You know, so, you know, it's, it's not, not dissimilar. So, you're you're just living that dream a little earlier than I did. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody uh, was interested in in hiring uh, your voice, mm-hmm. uh, you do have a website which is uh, Jack 
voicetalent.com. Yeah, talent.com. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's Jack's Jack's yeah. voicetalent.com. And that uh you have uh, it hasn't been, it hasn't been updated in years, but I'm still doing stuff. So. Okay. All right. Well, the stuff you have up there, I mean, you're especially that welcome message, your voice comes through uh so well. Good. And uh yeah, it's a simple site, and you can go right to what you would be hiring for your business or for whatever that you would want Jack's great voice to narrate. Thank you for the plug. I appreciate that. Yes, yes. And so I guess I would only have one last thing. Okay. And... So I mentioned at the uh, before we started that uh, there's a young man. His name is Gritty, aka Thomas Christie, and uh, he's the host of Gritty Knows Best. And uh, uh, I recommend uh, his podcast tentatively for the week at heart. And uh, but uh, Gritty is 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 the young man that got uh, several of us involved in podcasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I just have a lot of hopes on his behalf uh, that uh, he really excels uh, in 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 that medium. And um, so, if you don't mind, I'll, I'm going to play a reel of uh, some clips, and uh, maybe uh, you could comment on uh, uh, Gritty's uh, vocal quality and potential, perhaps in the business. All right, this is a long time in the making. About over a year ago now, we did an episode titled He Didn't Eat for Eight Years, where we talked to our buddy Zach Barber about a condition that he had that prevented him from eating solid food for a long time. He ended up beating that. We talked about that. We also got into his podcast, Rice Cakes and Pears. But today is a very special day because we're going to get an update on all of that and much more because Zach is with us right now. If there's one thing I love in this world, it is butterscotch, which is why I was so happy to find this butterscotch scoop Snickers bar at Walmart. Been dying to try this. Let's see what's up. Yeah. This has been calling my name at three in the morning for like two days. Mmm. Very sticky in your mouth. It is as sticky as hell. First impression, it's aight. It's okay. I already read through basically what she said, and then everybody on Congress just kind of parroted those things and then went into detail. Somebody showed, um, when they talked about like harmful content on TikTok, somebody showed a post on TikTok that was, I think it was like a, a person posted it was a, a gun. It was, somebody posted a gun and it was saying basically yeah. what the, like they want to shoot up the congressional hearing. And they got on the TikTok CEOs about how it has been 41 days since that post has been up and why it hasn't been taken down. The interviewer of all interviewers, Gritty. (laughs) I bid you welcome. I bid you welcome. (laughs) He's a character. He is Uh, a character. Yeah, he's, he's certainly got a... A look that's different. He's got an approach that's, uh, you know, different. He does stuff 
you know, just from the look, uh, from from his his way of thinking and and talking and so on and so forth, he does stuff that makes himself stand out a little bit and uh, and is something a little different and unique. And you know, if that catches on, he'll be uh, he'll do just fine. I'm not really familiar with the podcast world. Uh, you know, this is really the first podcast I've ever done mm -hmm. with you, and uh, I, I you know I've I've never had really much of a desire to get into that into that world, but. Uh, I would think, you know, with with just the unique look that he has and the style that he has, he'll he'll succeed and succeed enough to be able to make some money at this gig. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, any last thoughts before uh, uh, we end the episode? Uh, just it's been a pleasure chatting with you and me actually meeting you and uh, through this medium. Uh, I see where you're your father's son. <laughs> you do all right you do share you do share a lot of similarities with him uh, okay uh, all right although you I, I i'm sure he'll be pleased to know that you're much more handsome than he is oh yes all right <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know it's been a pleasure chatting with you i loved reminiscing about some of the stuff i used to do and uh some of the things i'm still involved with so it's uh it's been fun. It's been an interesting experience. And I said, this is the first time I've ever been involved with a podcast. So be interesting to see what develops, if anything, out of this. And yeah. I wish you good luck. I hope some of the, one of these days you actually find a name. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. And and I would just like to thank you and, and uh, uh, just to let you know that over the years, uh, how much I have appreciated uh your voice and uh the, your talent on the air um and you know like i said uh you know i did train in theater uh i mean i i did more with it than people might know but i didn't do it directly right. and uh when you when you hear a great voice um you know it's just one of those things that i really appreciate and uh i just thank you for your time and you know oh. coming on Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. Yes. So, uh, Jack, we end the episode the same way every time with a prayer. Okay. So let us pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you for this time with Jack Arnicky, and that God, I lift him and his wife, his family up, and that God, I ask that you just continue to make a way for him to enjoy his retirement the way he wants to enjoy it, and that, uh, Lord, that uh, as we look back on our lives, that uh, he can look back and, and see that he uh, has spent his life in a good way. And that, Lord, I ask that you continue to allow him to enjoy his life. And that, Lord, I ask that you consider his wants and desires and pray that they match up with your will. So we ask a blessing on all the watchers and the listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Peace to everyone. Amen. Good night. Good night.